Hi, you are listening to Therapy for Busy People. My name is Caroline Given, and I'm a therapist and coach in private practice. And today I'm going to be talking about good versus bad distractions. So the whole concept of distractions or being distracted is something our culture is kind of morally leading the charge against right now. And that's understandable. With technology and social media and all this information constantly at our fingertips, our world is more filled with distractions than ever before. And that makes a lot of us feel super overwhelmed and unfocused and anxious. And um, kind of as like the wellness industry has become more popular, the idea of being like ultra mindful and present has been kind of marketed as the most zen you can be. Like you've really reached the pinnacle of self-actualization if you've like eliminated all distractions. If you're someone who struggles with ADD like me, you grew up thinking distractions were like this evil force that you constantly had to beat back or avoid. And you were probably told at some point that like if you could only just be less distracted, you'd be better at school or you wouldn't be such a nuisance in the classroom. And, you know, whether it was really appropriate or not, a lot of people of my generation had the ADD label as children. So it's not really surprising to me that as we've all aged and become adults, we have this knee-jerk response to the idea of a distraction. Like, we feel very negative towards it right away. So I'm a huge word lover, and I always find it fascinating to read the actual official definition of words in the dictionary, like what experts have decided is the most accurate meaning of a word, because I'm almost always surprised by what I find. Like I thought I knew the most basic understanding of the word, but really my idea of it was distorted in some way or inaccurate. So I wanted to read the definition of distraction because I found it super interesting. So the Merriam-Webster definition of distraction is, um, well, duh, something that distracts. But more specifically, it says an object that directs one's attention away from something else. Pretty interesting. Um, Just like another Google definition of distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. And why I found this interesting was that there's nothing inherently negative within the definition of distraction. And I thought for sure it would be. There is one like that's further down on a list. It's not even like on an official website and it says extreme agitation of the mind or emotions, but that I don't even think is super accurate. Um, So the official definitions of distraction don't really have anything inherently negative about them. I wanted to start off with reading that definition because I wanted to show you that distractions aren't this inherently evil thing that only like mentally weak, unenlightened people deal with. We're all going to get distracted at some point. That's human. And actually, when used appropriately, distractions can be a great coping mechanism. So they can absolutely be a force for good. They're not inherently bad. We just need to learn how to differentiate healthy versus unhealthy distraction and then work on being intentional about when to use them or when to cope in some other way. So I'm going to start off by illustrating what 
bad distractions are and why it's unhealthy to live in a state of total or constant distraction. And then I'll explain what good distraction looks like and how that works. At the most basic, obvious level, being constantly distracted prevents us from being present. We're always being carried out of the present moment to somewhere else when we're distracted. And this isn't good because we're not really in the driver's seat of our lives. We're not being active participants in our own existence. And because we're somewhere else, we can make bad decisions or someone else can make decisions for us that might not be in alignment with the kind of person we want to be. We're on autopilot. We're kind of like drifting in and out of autopilot. The best visual example I can give you, and it's it's a example of bad distraction in general is texting while driving. Um, So think of bad distractions as that. So you might be perfectly fine if you text and drive, but because your full attention isn't on the road, you could miss something. And missing something could be kind of maybe somewhat minor, like, oh, I missed my exit. Or like worst case scenario could be like a disaster, like a car wreck or something. And that's kind of how it is for life in general when you're in a state of constant or near constant distraction. When we're distracted, we're also missing out on moments and connections with people. So when we're dividing our attention between someone and a distraction, that person almost always knows it and feels it. And that feels shitty. (laughs) It prevents us from feeling close because how can someone understand you or care for you if they're never really present with you and maybe you're also missing out on some information that could be really valuable to you one of the deeper problems with straddling our current present reality in like some other realm because we're distracted is that we're not allowing ourselves to fully experience and feel reality So this is something that comes up when an unhealthy distraction is more of like a conscious or semi-conscious choice. I think like most of the time that unhealthy distractions, um, we kind of fall into them. We're like operating from our monkey brain. It's like drawn to things that are new or pleasurable without like a lot of thought behind it. But what is much more dangerous is when we seek out unhealthy distractions as a form of escape. So when we're consciously looking for distractions, it's because we're feeling something unpleasant, some sort of pain or discomfort, or it could even just be boredom. And the problem with wanting to run away from that emotion is that all emotions will always teach us something, especially the negative ones. That's literally their function. Sometimes we don't learn the lesson correctly, but each emotion is imbued with raw information that can help us in some way. So when we're always chasing after a distraction because we don't like the way an emotion makes us feel, we're not learning anything. And when we never really give ourselves an opportunity to face that emotion, it doesn't disappear. It's going to keep coming up and it can start to get even more intrusive and feel even more uncontrollable the more we over rely on distractions to cope. So rather than distracting ourselves from feeling any sort of pain or discomfort, it's really important to be present enough to acknowledge it and feel it. This also has value because whenever you're doing this, you're proving to yourself like, look, I'm facing this unpleasant thing and it isn't killing me. I can survive this. And that's important because whenever we get anxious about something, 
our brain really believes our lives are in danger. Like the neurochemical message is, hey, we're going to die. So rather than always distracting yourself from that feeling, it can be really helpful to run towards it and kind of say, I'm here, I'm feeling this, and it sucks, but I'm not going to die. It's going to pass and I will survive. Because that's the other thing. Emotions always pass. They always, you know, fluctuate in intensity. Nothing stays at a high intensity. And if you're always distracting yourself, you might never know that you are that strong, that you can take it. So to sum it up, when we're distracted, we're not receiving the information that uncomfortable thoughts or emotions are trying to give us. We're not learning. We're not problem solving. We're not creating strategies so that we can be better in the future. A distraction is like the little Dutch boy putting his finger in the dam. It's a temporary fix and it's only going to work for so long. Real growth happens when we're in the present moment and we're accepting of it, not running away from it. So in contrast to all that, healthy distractions are a part of any good coping skill inventory once you've already established like an overall sense of mindfulness. And just for anyone who hasn't had that defined out for them, mindfulness means a non-judgmental acceptance and awareness of the present moment. So once you've already established that, I think it's good to create an inventory of healthy distractions for yourself that really work. And here's the theory behind this. So Emotions do teach us, but sometimes we already heard the lesson loud and clear. Like we already have a plan in place for what we're going to do to address something. We've done everything in our power in that moment to fix it. And in that case, it's no longer productive or helpful to continue to sit in that emotion. And that's when it's good to distract yourself. An example of this could be like, when you're applying to schools and you send off an application and you know, you're nervous about hearing back, but you've done all you can do in that moment. You've prepared, you even have a plan for what you'll do no matter what the outcome is, and now you're just waiting. So why sit in that feeling of fear and anxiety? Find a distraction. They're super useful for these moments of limbo or waiting. Like any time where you're in danger of sitting in an emotion too long or falling down a thought spiral that isn't productive, have some distractions ready that you know work. Distractions are also useful in a moment of crisis or a period of extreme distress. When you're feeling like that, you're not really able to be contemplative or work on problem solving or fixing something, and that's okay. Distractions can give us time to de-escalate that distress or prevent it from escalating. A good example of this is in a crisis training I did. They talk about how asking someone questions that are kind of unrelated to the crisis is a great way to distract them long enough to help them get to a calmer place. Like imagine something intense happened, like a car accident, and you're physically safe and everything is technically okay now, but you're still really panicked and someone asks you a random question like, do you have any pets? Or what was your favorite movie when you were a kid? Or something that seems super irrelevant. And it's kind of jarring, but in a good way. And it also activates you know, a different part of your brain other than that intense fear and panic part of your brain. And essentially, you're just distracted. That's what's going on. Another thing worth mentioning is that we all need breaks and we all need play. 
And sometimes that's what a good distraction can provide. So as a therapist, sometimes I'm seeing people back to back and I only have 10 minutes in between 15-minute sessions. And people come to therapy with some pretty heavy things. So I've noticed it's really healthy for me to do something in between my sessions that has nothing to do with being a therapist. Um, One of my favorite things to do is play a really mindless game on my phone, like something that isn't too challenging or competitive, but allows me to disengage in a healthy way. Um, My favorite game is Two Dots. It's really the most simple game ever, but it distracts me. And that allows me to be mentally and emotionally fresh for my next client. I think a good distraction engages you right away, is pretty easy to access, won't challenge or frustrate you too much, and kind of mentally removes you from the situation you need to be distracted from. So some examples of healthy distractions. I love easy video games like Two Dots, Bricks and Balls, Tetris. Um, My sister loves to do jigsaw puzzles on her phone and computer, and I think that's another good one because it's kind of hard to get too frustrated with a puzzle like that. I think that video is preferable to audio when it comes to distractions. Watching something gives you a more immediate engagement. So I usually tell people to have a list of videos that make them laugh, but you could also have podcasts or audio versions of comedy sets. And you can have this just waiting for you if you create a playlist ahead of time on YouTube or Spotify. Humor is an amazing distraction for pretty much all negative emotions. Like I mentioned earlier, distractions are really great for crisis moments. Something we do with people who are struggling with self-harm behaviors or impulse control is called delaying. And that's basically a form of distraction. So something I've done with clients is we'll get an index card and we write down five healthy distractions that they have to do before they do the self-harm behavior or some sort of negative behavior. So we say, you know, you have free will and you can choose to self-harm or, you know, engage in a negative behavior, but I want you to do these five things before you do that. And the stuff on their list can be things that make them feel good or they can just be like random, like brushing their teeth. But the point is to distract them from the intense emotion they're feeling long enough for them to decide not to engage in a destructive behavior. Distractions that work really well for crisis moments usually involve the five senses. So things related to touch and temperature, smell, sound, anything sensory that can be a distraction in the moment. Something really effective for me when I'm feeling super upset is putting an ice pack somewhere on my face. This is kind of like activating the mammalian diving reflex. It's kind of a shock to the system. You actually can implement the diving reflex as a distraction if you want to. I was at a dialectical behavior therapy training last month and our trainer said he'll tell certain clients who get really distressed and escalate quickly to get a giant salad bowl, fill it with ice water, and submerge their face in it for a certain amount of time. I don't know all the details about that, but you can Google it if you want to try it, and apparently it really works. Another thing you can do is physically move to another location. Even if there's nothing about your immediate environment that is distressing to you, sometimes changing your environmental state can be a healthy distraction. Basically, the purpose of all this is just to focus on something that isn't distressing long enough for you to get calmer and get to a more positive place. It's not a permanent fix, but we don't always need a permanent fix. Sometimes we just need something that will work in the moment. 
So here's my framework for deciding whether or not it's healthy to use a distraction. So anytime you're in crisis and you're physically safe, it's always appropriate to use distraction. You just need to get through that moment. Sometimes we're not in a major crisis, but we're in a place that feels too intense for us to really focus on forming solutions. And we're not really able to think clearly because we're so upset. And that qualifies as a crisis too. It doesn't need to be a catastrophic event. So when you're not in a crisis state and you want to distract yourself or you see yourself seeking out distractions, ask yourself, do I already have this negative feeling figured out? Like, do I have a plan for how to address the root problem that's making me feel this way? Or am I just trying to run away from feeling something? If you're already acquainted with that feeling and you have a plan for how to address it, or it's just a matter of playing a waiting game, distract yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. I think there might be something wrong with the opposite, actually. If you think you have to suffer for some reason, that's like mental self-harm. Don't do that. Be kind to yourself. So that's my little decision tree for figuring out if it's healthy or unhealthy to use distraction as a coping skill. If you need a little inspiration when it comes to healthy distractions, I created a free coping skills worksheet for you with a bunch of ones you can try. I encourage you to experiment and really find ones that work for you because we're all different and coping skills are not a one-size-fits-all type of thing. We need to find skills that are personal and effective and we also need to be open to exploring different options until we find the right ones. So to get my worksheet, sign up for my newsletter, which is on my website, um, therapyforbusypeople.com. Don't worry, I don't send out newsletters that often, so I won't spam you. Um, to learn more about mental health topics like this, you can also follow me on Instagram. My handle is therapyforbusypeople. I hope you got something out of this episode, and thanks for listening.